Welcome to the RSP Campus to Canton podcast. I'm Matt Waldman. Joining me every other week is Felix Sharp with Campus to Canton. Always a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you, Felix. And today we're going to talk about the 2024 class, get a chance to look at your top five from a lot of these players that are going to be meaningful for the 2024 NFL draft down the line. I am so fortunate to be here with you. I just think that a flood is coming for college fantasy. I see that football guys just announced its uh, new college football show that's going to be on Wednesdays. And, um, I, you know, I think that the wave is coming. And so I get to talk to your audience about these players. And maybe they – I mean, I was when anytime you're given an opportunity, an opportunity to speak, at least – when I do, I think about, you know, what do I want to accomplish? Not only do I, what do I want to say, but what do I want to accomplish? And I want your audience to be able to track some of these players, you know, their progress and where you will eventually discuss them in the RSP in years to come. So we get to talk about the 2024 class today. And when I'm, when I'm on with you next time, we'll talk about 2025. Yeah, that sounds great. And for those of you who aren't aware campus to canton is the most immersive form of fantasy football today it's dynasty fantasy football paired with college fantasy and playing a college matchup and an nfl matchup each week it means that Bijan robinson zj sprout um, stroud marvin harrison jr can all help you win your college matchups for the week and when your college players declare for the nfl draft well they're added to your nfl roster it's as simple as that so Go to campus2canton.com, get started, play both sides, play campus to Canton. Yeah, man, absolutely. You know, it's just the it's the way you want to go. I can't wait to get started when the next year because I'm going to be playing in the league next year in campus to Canton for sure. Play both sides is the tagline that we just recently came up with. And I think that it works because that's what it is. Play both sides. Play your NFL Dynasty roster, but develop your pipeline. Get C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Marvin Harrison Jr., Bijan Robinson. Get all those guys, and you're playing your college side too, and you're playing college fantasy each week. It's it's so it's so much fun, especially when you're winning. And I'm I'm up right now, Matt. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Well, you know, we're gonna get to we're gonna get you guys ready because we're gonna be scouting some of these players for you, giving an idea of. Who's, who's helping you now on the college side, but who you may want to trade away on the NFL side once, once they get to the NFL side and say, well, they've had their course, but maybe they're not going to be quite as good. Or guys that we might be looking at and say, well, they're not getting a lot of pub, but these are guys on Sunday who might have a better career. So this week, we're going to start with the class of 2024, top five at each position. So where do you want to start, Felix? Which position do you want to begin with? Yeah, so let's just make sure we understand that 2024, these are sophomores, so they're not eligible for the NFL draft. They're el eligible for 2024. Um, so they'll have another year of college production. And if you're paying attention to college football, you can watch them this year and next year. I think it's natural to start with the quarterbacks. And so if, if that's all right with you, I'll start there. Always. Yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm hopeful, like I'm crossing my fingers, that some of your audience is already paying attention to the college game and so that – a, a few of these names they will have, especially the top names, they will have already heard. I'm crossing my fingers. I'm sure. uh, at, should I go five to one or one to five? Let's Man. go. Let's go. Go ahead. You say it. You say it. You do okay. It. We'll go five to one. Okay. Um, number number five could be 
Now, remember, we expect some of these players who are eligible for 2023 to come back. So um, number five is a tie between a couple of players. Jalen Milrow at Alabama, who is an athletic dual threat uh, quarterback who has only has one start under his belt um, last week. Cam Ward who I believe I've talked about on this program. He is playing in an air raid offense under Eric Morris. Eric Morris was an assistant under both Mike Leach and, and, and Cliff Kingsbury when Cliff Kingsbury was at Texas Tech. I Cam Ward, to me, is short area Zach Wilson. So where you had Zach Wilson scramble and sometimes had bad process and throw, throw the ball downfield, Cam, Cam Ward does the same thing, except for – He's not getting away with his bad process uh, this season. When he throws the ball to to a, 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 you know in a defender's area, it's actually getting getting caught. Uh, so I'm calling him short area uh, Zach Wilson, but but very difficult to corral. It's like chasing a chicken. <laughs> uh, Cam Ward with with uh, Washington State. They're at Washington State. Anthony Richardson at Florida, who I've discussed on this program, and then Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. Tyler Van Dyke. Um, an aggressive downfield thrower who will turn the ball over. Um, he's dealing with a coaching change and he's had a very up and down season. So he's Tyler Van Dyke, Anthony Richardson, Cam Ward. They're all eligible for 2023. I think that all of them go back. Uh, nice. So that's, so that's a tie for number five and I'll be a little bit quicker. That's okay. uh, number four. Yeah. Number four is JJ McCarthy at Michigan. Um, and a very athletic, out-of-structure player who, you know, they're at Michigan under Jim Harbaugh. He's doing a lot of of handing the ball off, but he does have um, uh, some, some speed, some dual threat ability. I think we've got him clocked at like 21.5 miles per, per, per hour, uh, so he can run with the best of them. I, 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 we want to see him just do things on time, three-step find the open receiver, process the field, find the open player. Don't always look for um, uh, uh, your scramble ability. I got him at number four. And these are the names that I'm hoping that after McCarthy, these are the names that I, I hope that people are already paying attention to. Number three, Quinn Ewers at Texas. Uh, Quinn Ewers was the number one rated quarterback um, in 24-7 sports ranking history. So when you think of Matthew Stafford, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, these guys. Uh, Quint Ewers was a higher-ranked high school recruit coming into college than any of those guys. He's number one. The only player right there with him was Vince Young. And the thing that I like about Ewers is I think a lot of times we think about arm talent and, like, opposite hash arm strength and being able to fire a ball in there really hard. But he, to me, he shows maturity in understanding when to let up and when to have touch on passes. There was a pass uh, this weekend against Oklahoma where he had a wide receiver breaking out on an out. He was scrambling to his right. He threw it before the wide receiver broke and he threw it. He put the touch on it because there was no defender in that flat area. And he knew that he could, and and you know he let the wide receiver be be able to turn, break, find find the ball, and, uh, and and make the catch. Had he just ripped that ball in there, it would have been on the sideline. And so um, I think that 
Quint Ewers is a m- mature passer in that respect and that he knows uh, the the speed and velocity necessary on each pass. And you kind of see him give some tight window throws. He had a, uh, a seam route, touchdown pass, to a player we're going to talk about later, Jatavian Sanders, a tight end along the seam. I think it was cover three. I mean, there was three defenders in the area, puts the perfect touch along the left hash and puts it right there. Um, that's It's a difficult pass. It's not a pass that you say, see a lot of college uh, quarterbacks make. Well, he can do it. But, again, he's uh, there's a reason that he's been a highly ranked quarterback. Number two, I've got Drake May at North Carolina. This is another kid who can uh, improvise. He's good both in and out of structure. He's tall enough where he can, you know, see his wide receivers from the pocket. He's got Josh Downs there who he can find in the slot and um, uh, along the sideline. So like Drake May, he has – he's not the best athlete, but he has some imp- improvisational ability. And at number one, uh, I've got Caleb Williams at USC. Caleb Williams, who was at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley and is now uh, th- there in, in Southern California with Lincoln Riley transferred there. Uh, coming out of high school, we had a lot of questions about this kid. He's from the tri-state area, Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, that area. He had a 55% completion percentage, and you would see him doing all this scrambling and then just miss players, 55% uh, completion percentage. But he's really improved uh, as a collegiate passer being able to work from the pocket, work from out of structure, run when necessary. Um, so I, and out of all of these guys, the I think the one player who could probably carry a team, given his skill set, his rushing skill set, his, his passing skill set, I think it's, it's, it's Caleb Williams. So uh, hopefully people have already heard of Caleb Williams playing there in, in L.A. So he's my number one player at – at the quarterback position. And I think that that's probably um, consensus around the dynasty C2C or excuse me, Debbie C2C community. Yeah, I can certainly see that. And I mean, Williams certainly has a lot of impressive moments as a playmaker, both with his arm and his legs. And he has shown some skill as a, as a passer that I think, you know, justifies putting him in a, in a place like that. And I was interested to see where you had may and yours, um, cause I know I've heard a lot about yours. Um, and I watched May this weekend, not officially, but I was studying Josh Downs. So I saw a fair bit of, of May, um, y- you know, in, in terms of between him and Howell. And it was interesting because I didn't really, again, I didn't give a close, close look because I was focused solely on the receiver. But from what I could tell, there wasn't a major difference that made me go, ooh, like, let me go back to watching more Sam Howell tape. You know, I felt like I was watching May and I felt like he hold, held his own pretty well um, in a way where, yeah, less athletic version, you know, Sam Howell was a better athlete, I would say, you know, in terms of moving around the pocket. But May seemed very efficient with what he was able to do. And I like the accuracy that I saw thus far with with him. And he seemed to be a, a pretty decent decision maker. And Matt, you know that the in the red zone, that area is a lot tighter. You know, the defense doesn't have as much ground to cover and the windows aren't as big. And there are two plays this year. One, I can think of a, a touchdown pass to Josh Downs that, against uh, Florida A&M where he had to throw it along the left seam, I think. 
over a, a, a defender and, and behind another one. He puts it in the right spot. But then there's another uh, uh, pass play in the green zone, in the red zone, whatever you want to call it, where he uses a pump fake to move a defender just a little bit t- to the left. And I'm moving away from the mic because I'm demonstrating here. And then <laughs> hits it along the right seam. And I'm like, man, if you can if you can find ways to find space in the red zone and you're doing that as a first-time um starter here in 2022 you've got some you've got some things to work with because that red zone it's difficult to navigate yeah that's one of the biggest areas i mean if you saw if you saw the the jets dolphins game this week and you talk about a player in skylar thompson who got his first opportunity and no preparation you could see that the dolphins were extremely cautious about using him in the red area because they just that's the area that is so difficult and they spend so much time and practice every week on what they're going to do there. And that's where you're going to see different plays also that get implemented is in the red zone. So if your quarterback hasn't had any preparation, then you're going to do things like, you know, score by basically having it snapped to Durham Smythe and have had, and basically have um, Skylar Thompson act confused because that's realistic. They would say, well, of course we're going to have a rookie quarterback at confused so why don't we do that now? At the same time, short yardage, they also gave up. They also gave up an opportunity on fourth and one to like let Skylar Thompson have the ball in his hands by running a fullback option play, which was awful. You, you know, now you understand. I mean, I understand what they were trying to do there, but it just gives you an idea that if you have a young player, whatever level, that they're they're being able to make some plays and be creative and use the tools that they have. To, to be creative within the structure of a red zone play. That's awesome. That's a great point. And in those two, I mean, in those two plays I described, in one he used his accuracy to throw the ball high, and the other he used his um, intellect really to use the pump thing to, to move a defender to create the space. So he's got some things to work with. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's let's go on to tight ends. I want to hear some tight ends here <laughs> who, are, who are in this group because – I, I always laugh about the tight end because, you know, this is kind of like for me when I think of like IDP fantasy. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. you, I pick old safeties. I pick, I you know, we all know that you can get your cornerback and defensive back pretty much like off the waiver wire, which I know Felix may not like as a former DB himself. But, you know, like, you, you know, you, you can get some good guys there because people just aren't aware of what makes a good what makes a good fantasy DB sometimes is the guy who gets picked on a lot, um, you know, from that yeah. perspective, rather being the best, rather than being the best DB. And then from a safety perspective, it's usually the old veteran that people have like pretty much said he's, he's, he's toast, but he's still got a few years left. I think about Dawkins and Lynch and, and I can think of probably about 20 more players I used to take later. Well, speaking of old safeties, do you remember Mark Carrier for the yes. Lions and yes. Bear and Bears? Man, yeah. man, he would he hit you hard and he could intercept the ball. I loved me some Mark Carrier growing up as a Lions fan. So yeah, I'm gonna be going back further than some of those guys. Exactly, but when you look at like tight ends, it feels to me like at this stage of the game, a lot of these guys are just like great athletes who are big, and then like as yeah. they start to progress, like into once we see them in their final year, that's when you start to get a, 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 an indicator. But that's not always true. There's some guys that we know right off the bat who are really strong. So I'm interested to see who are your top guys and which of those are the ones that you go, 
yeah, let's wait and see. We got him on this list, but we'll let's we he, we're gonna need to see another year before he really stick. He's sticky on that list, or these are guys that you're looking at and going, they're gonna stay on this list most likely. It's it's funny that you say big athlete because I want to start. I've only got four guys for the tight end position. I want to start at number three because. The number three player on my list, Jatavian Sanders, who I mentioned earlier at Texas playing with Quinn Ewers, um, he was he came into college designated as a quote-unquote athlete, which means that he could have played multiple positions. In this case, uh, they could have had him somewhere along the defensive line. But he gets into camp, they determine that he is going to play uh, tight end. Now, he is very much on the, I think, the Delaney Walker um, oh, okay. uh, spectrum a, 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 as a player. And I, I know I, I mentioned, so he, but very athletic player. He was a five-star athlete, highly, even though he was designated as an athlete, highly rated as position coming out of uh, high school. Um, but I think that we have to give some credit to landing spot and we're in the Debbie community. Like that's something that we pay attention to because Jatavian Sanders at Texas means a whole lot of something different than Jatavian Sanders, probably at North Dakota state, for example, at Texas, he's got, he's got Steve Sarkeesian. He's got uh, Xavier worthy another Texas player that I'm going to mention here uh, later, a a player who can take the top off the defense, a speed guy. He's got Quint Ewers. He's got these athletes and he's got Steve Sarkeesian who's put, you know, I I believe Steve Sarkeesian was the offensive coordinator at Alabama when uh, Irv Smith was, was coming, uh, was, was coming out. And so uh, he's got, an offensive coordinator who knows how to scheme up a productive offense. And he's got good skill position players around him where he's not the center of attention. And he's productive in his own right. He's productive in his own right. Probably had his best game uh, of his short career so far this past week against Oklahoma had two touchdowns in the game. Um, And, you know, just a, a, a good athlete that we need to pay attention to. I have him at number three. Um, so let me back up here, Matt, and go to number four. Uh, number four, I have Miami tight end Elijah Arroyo. Now, when when we watched Elijah Arroyo coming out of high school on his high school tape, you saw someone who could line up in line, but that's not really what gets us excited about tight end. Is you saw someone who could line up outside and run routes, you know, um, and, and and we thought that he would be able to do that at Miami. Miami has a long history of developing tight ends through multiple coaching staffs. Bubba Franks, Jeremy Shockey, uh, Kellen Winslow. And we thought that this guy, given that his versatile skill set in size and athleticism and being able to run routes like a smaller wide receiver, that he would be able to do that. He has not been productive really at all up into this up into this point. Um, he's had some flashes as a maybe I said some. He's had one flash uh, as a as a freshman, um, but but some of the things that we saw on tape there at uh, in in high school, we haven't seen him put on tape in college. Now we've heard reports of his productivity in in college in or excuse me in uh, spring and fall camp reports, but we haven't seen him put that on tape. So he is my number four tight end Elijah Arroyo he's number 80 if you are watching Miami so I already mentioned Tavian Sanders at number three at number two is Michael Trigg Michael Trigg's a tight end at Old Miss he transferred um, from USC when USC let Clay Helton go and they brought in Lincoln Riley 
he and Jackson Dart transferred uh, to Old Miss. And so, again, another athletic player who was already highly ranked in his class and has matched that with some productivity late in his career or late, excuse me, late in the season at USC and has brought some of that to, um, to old miss. Number one is some people have this player ranked um, as the number one tight end overall above Michael Mayer, who's going to be in the 2023 class. And that's Brock Bowers. We have some of the best, times mile per hour times at the tight end position for brock bowers he he has a ton of speed he lines up in line he they line him up uh uh in the in the boundary and throw fades to him sometimes when they're in the red zone um i don't i mean i don't really know what to, to say about this guy he was their passing offense last year for that national championship team you think about George and sorry, Brock Bowers at Georgia, Georgia national championship team, the athletes that they have there at Georgia, he was their best player on offense and he is their best player on offense uh, this year. So um, Brock Bowers, I got number one. The only thing about Brock Bowers, Matt, is that he, he might be 225 pounds. So we're thinking of, you know, whatever you think of, of Evan Ingram, Brock Bowers might be on that spectrum. He's, he's light. Now, allegedly he's, gained weight but we're not going to know until until um he tests at the com- or weighs in at the combine but i think that you at that position you want them to be at least you know 240 pounds and i don't know that he's going to reach that scale but a very athletic player um that they line up all over the place there at georgia would you would you compare him in some respects athletically to jordan reed because of his build and because of his speed but is it that his style is different too I feel like Jordan Reed was t- was taller okay. than Brock ba- than Brock Bowers. Um, I wouldn't say that they're similarly t- stylistically okay. either. Like I I kind of remember um, Evan Ingram catching these long touchdown passes from Chad Kelly there at Old Miss and being an explosive player. Yeah. I don't really remember J- Jordan Reed. That's but I see more Evan Ingram in in Brock Bowers' game at least collegiately. That. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, because Jordan Reed was extremely quick in and out of cuts he was someone who could make you miss and was a great runner after the catch but he weighed about 225 um coming out of school and it was like when 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 the washington's was like yeah he's at 240 right now 250 and you're looking at him and going that may or may not be true but is he gonna be able to hold up and he mm-hmm. was tough and he was certainly a tough player but injuries really got the better of his career because when he was on the field he was he was really good but he just couldn't stay on the field. And that's kind of that issue that you that you worry about with those guys who are in that kind of tweener range. And is he big enough? Is he is he uh, fast enough to be a wide receiver like Ingram? You could have argued that he could have gone that route? Or is so it too tight? When I, when I, you asked about in and out of cuts. When I think of Brock Bowers, I don't really think of him in and out of cuts. I think of him catching the ball along the seam and then just defeating angles of linebackers and safeties. Gotcha. So is he is he is he fast enough to play wide receiver? Probably, I think so. But I I can I can remember pe- players converting from wide receiver from tight end, but not the other way around. So I think he's very much a, a tight end. Okay, okay, that's cool. Yep. And he can block. I would imagine if you're playing on Georgia's yep. line, 
you know, I haven't really studied him yet, but I, I can pretty much presume that you're going to have to block if you're a tight end, you know. I mean, yeah. how good of a blocker for the NFL, we'll see. I mean, Trey, Trey McKitty isn't isn't cracking lineups at this point with the Chargers, and he was a he was a decent college blocker for what it was, you know. I mean, not great, but like, okay. So, but that's fascinating. So, let's let's move on let's move on to wide receivers since we're already in the realm of pass catchers sure. here and we'll save the best for sure. last you know but the uh <laughs> no, you are you actually are because i think the running back position is probably the strongest out of this group right next to the quarterback position yeah. um so here at wide receiver um i'm gonna go one through five on this one marvin harrison jr is a player that i've mentioned more than more than once on on your show here he's really great at the at the catch point a kind of a traditional x wide receiver six four two hundred and five pounds number two on bruce feldman's uh freak list if anyone pays attention to that so marvin here harrison jr number one number two i've got xavier worthy at texas uh on the to me he's on the john jackson mark bound spectrum smaller speed wide receiver coming out of high school. I thought that he was going to have – like I was like, ooh, this dude cannot catch the ball. He does not look like he – you don't like clappers. I thought that he was a clapper uh, coming out of, of, of high school. But that hasn't prevent, prevented him from being very productive at the college level. And number three, I've got Emeka Abuka, who is – Emeka Abuka at Ohio State. He's probably a big slot wide receiver. Um Austin Nace, my colleague at Campus to Canton, has compared him to uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, so can attack that intermediate, uh, that intermediate game. And at four and five, I've got uh, uh, Jacory Brooks at Alabama and Bo Collins at uh, Clemson. These are s- similar-ish players, boundary wide receivers. Um, you know, should be good at the catch point. Ja'Cory Brooks has struggled with the – there's definitely a tear break after Ibuka. Ja'Cory Brooks has struggled with um, his place on the depth chart this season, except for when Alabama is down and they were like, all right, we need a spark uh, uh, offensively, and they bring him in. They did the same thing last year. He, he came in after um, – I keep forgetting the kid at, at for the Texans who they drafted. Um, yeah, Nico Collins. No. No, not Nico Mechie. Collins. Mechie. John Mechie. Yeah, John Mechie. Yeah. yeah, he he substituted in for John Mechie when John Mechie went down with the injury uh, uh, last season. So um, those are, yeah, one through five. Marvin well, Harrison Jr., Xavier Worthy, Emeka Buka, Ja'Cory Brooks, and Bo Collins. Well, any of those guys you look at, like who are the boundary guys, I'm just curious. I mean, NFL's playing a lot of two high shells these days. Um so, you know, that honey hole in towards the boundary yeah. is going to be an area that quarterbacks got to get better at. So I would think those, you know, some of those guys you mentioned there might be good fits from that perspective if they can show they can win in that honey hole. Just the top two. Just the top just two. The, just, just, just Marvin Harrison Jr. And, and Xavier Worthy. Okay. I'm not sure that Brooks or Collins are that type of player just yet. But, I mean, again, you know, these are are players who may have started five, six games altogether. Sure, Xavier Xavier Worthy has been a starter um, since his freshman season. Emeka Abuka has gotten sprinkled in a little bit. Marvin Harrison Jr. has started all this season, but Corey Brooks has again struggled with his his place on the depth chart. And Bo Collins, um, not there. 
Clemson's offense was terrible last yeah. year, so not a lot of film to evaluate last season. Well, listen, we're going deep, and that's what's the fun part about this. And, you know, Felix had two Ohio State receivers, you know, in his top three from the 2024 class. Well, Saints wide receiver Chris Olave is going deep on the league this year, leading rookie receivers. And the rookie scouting portfolio has been helping fantasy managers go deep with rookies since 2006. It's a two-in-one fantasy-focused draft guide and football scouting reference. And the RSP covers over 150 rookies at skill positions. You get post-draft rankings and cheat sheet with tiers. You get post-draft ADP analysis and what I call sweet spot analysis so that when I give you a recommendation that your league mates will probably say is out there and, and be laughing about um, and then wanting to buy the RSP if you told them about it after you win your league, um, you know, I'm showing you where you can get the best value for the player relative to where I have them rated in, in their talent. You get a combined three-year pre-draft um, rankings. You get updated three-year rankings throughout the year with the newsletter, positional skill analysis. It's the most in-depth player profiles you're going to find available. And with analysis that's touted early, middle, and late round gems like Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Travis Kelsey, Nick Chubb, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, and Olave. Download the 2022 RSP and you can go deep on your league too. So, you know, with that in mind, let's go deep into this running back class because we're saving the best for last year. What about this class? Who Who's your top five with this class right now? Can I take a brief detour and ask you about your boy, Nick Chubb? Yes. I, th I think anybody who's listened to you for any amount of time has known your affinity for Nick Chubb, and you famously had him ranked ahead of Saquon Barkley in that class. When that was an absurd take. Yeah. That was an absurd take to have uh, Nick Chubb ranked ahead of Saquon Barkley. But anyone who's listened to you for longer than that has known your affinity for Frank Gore. Yes. And I'm wondering if – do you – Frank Gore, I mean, what, what, how old was Frank Gore when he retired? Do you see – Nick Chubb's game aging gracefully the same way as Nick Chubb? As Frank Gore? Yes. I or as Frank Gore. Yeah. Do you think Nick, I, Nick Chubb aging like Frank Gore? I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance. And, and the reason being is that Chubb's obviously a powerful back like Gore. Um, both he and Gore are so efficient in how they move. Um, you see a lot of things you see with Chubb. He does some undercover, like dynamic stuff that nobody in this league can do. I mean, you, I, I still show a play every once in a while where he played Auburn, where he goes through a crease off of tackle, where he has to hurdle over somebody and literally rotate his ankle and point it as he lands. Like he lands on his left ankle, rotates it to the boundary, and literally just like basically crab walks across the face of a safety who's just bewildered that that the safety missed his shot on him because it was a it was a kill shot and and Chubb literally could just move his ankles like that so the, there's things like that that Chubb does that I think as long as his ankles and knees can stay relatively healthy I think he can continue to do because a lot of it's more about flexibility than it is about a massive pounding with his game. And but you know you look at Gore. Gore was a hard cutting back too, who could really drop his weight and make all these different cuts. But a lot of it is, is if you're not getting hit, you know, and you're the one doing the hitting, you you know, there's less damage there. I think that I think anybody who tells you, I mean, for the most part, if you're like 
technically sound with when you hit somebody, you it, it's not as punishing for you as it is if if you're getting hit. Um, because usually if you're hitting somebody, they're going backwards and hitting the ground, and you're landing on top of them, which isn't quite as bad as you hitting the ground and then that person hitting you and being on top of you. So, you know, Chubb does a lot of the dictating of, of, of contact. I think that that's part of it for him. Um, he's very good at being able to keep people off of his body. So I think there's a chance. I mean, you never know. I mean, I think if he has a, you know, the, the knee that, you know, Gene Bramble, when we first talked about Chubb um, at this, you know, during his draft class and I asked him about the knee surgery and what he had and Gene hadn't really heard that he had torn all three ligaments there were three of the four ligaments in that knee and when I told him about the surgery and what he did Gene explained to me he goes that's a really difficult surgery because to tie that knee up the way they had to they had to tie it up perfectly because it's usually and that's hard to do like usually even if you're a top surgeon tying up when you have the I think it was the PCL, the ACL, and the MCL. Um, or it was the LCL, the MCL, and the ACL. I don't remember which one, but I know that if it was the PCL, he said it would have been catastrophic. He said, but it, I think that's what it was. It, so he said, the, but even so, tying it up that way, he said, if he's running the way he is, and I saw enough of him to see as a, you know, as a junior or senior, if he's running the way he is, they must have tied that thing perfectly. And that's, or he's just dealing with the fact that it's a little looser or a little tighter than his other knee. He goes, either way, he goes, you know, he goes, that's the fact that he's playing at the level he is, is almost kind of unheard of for that kind of surgery. So it's the kind of the same thing when you look at, you look at Frank Gore, I could see why you asked that question. Cause when you look at Frank Gore and you think that dude, that dude had, and I say this a lot, but it, it's it's when you think of like Coker, who was the the head of the head of the Miami um, head coach at the time, and he was the recruiter and the running back, or he's the running back coach at the time for Oklahoma State when they had Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders, and when he recruited Frank <laughs> Gore. He, you know, might have been a little show business because, you know, when you're recruiting players, you got to have a little show business with you. But he said, I had, I had, you know, Frank Gore was the best high school running back I've ever seen. And I was, and I coached Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas. And he was the best one I ever saw. And, and I remember seeing Frank Gore pre two ACL tears, you know, to his knees and he was unbelievable. I mean, like the, if I were going to rank based on talent at the university of Miami, like the best running backs that, that have come through there, it would be very, you that's know, a deep, Clint, that's yeah. a deep, deep, deep running yeah. back room. Like there. Clinton Portis would be number three. And I'd almost feel ashamed to put Clinton Portis number three, um, you, you know, but it would be somewhere between Edron James and Frank Gore. I mean, because, you know, and Lamar Miller was, I mean, Lamar Miller might not even be in the top five. And that's like, Willis McGahee. Willis McGahee. Exactly. McGahee, well, would, yeah. McGahee would be four for me, you know, for sure. He would be four. Um, and he was a great back. But I I think be, based on health, it's hard. It's hard because Edron James, 
Edra James before his knee and Edra James another one. Look at the how he aged gracefully and his game aged basically overnight with the ACL tear he had. If if Edra James didn't have that ACL tear and didn't turn into a grinder like Frank Gore was his entire career, Edra James would have been the greatest running back who ever played in the NFL. That's my take. He is the standard. Honestly, he is the standard for which I watch running back play. I, I've I've probably used more criteria points based off what I did to watch Edron James than pretty much any other running back I've I've seen. Um, and he was, you know, I know it's early, and I think I think Frank, I I think you know, you look at that, and Frank Gore and, and Edron James similar in that way. So they were all very good at diagnosing things. They understood how to use their pads. They finished strong. They read defenses extraordinarily well. Um, and I've had scouts tell me, I had one in particular say a long time ago, say Frank Gore is the guy that's shown in running back rooms by good running back coaches that show his tape to teach you how to play. And it's no coincidence that when teams drafted Marlon Mack, when they drafted Kenyon Drake, and they and they put Frank Gore in there, it was a it was their attempt to say, learn from this guy, because he gets us the yards we expect him to get, and then occasionally a little more as an old man, you know. So, yeah, I think there's a good that, chance. That's the reason why I asked you this question because in dynasty fantasy football, it is nearly impossible to trade a 26 year old running back who is like uh, Nick Chubb. But when you look at Frank Gore, he had a 1200 yard season at age 29. He had a 1100 yard season at age 30. He had 1100 yard season at age 31. He had a 900 yard season at age 32. He had a thousand yard season at age 33. He had a 900 yard season at age 34. I mean, this dude, the way he aged and I, and it's the efficiency points that you've pointed out about Nick Chubb. I'm like, hmm. I wonder if this guy is going to age like, uh, like like Frank Gore. So I, that's that's where the question. Came. I'm a, I'm just to finish this tangent, because I, when you brought up all these guys and what they did, we're in a different era of football. Because I just put out a, a podcast on Friday about what makes them great, and the guy that I profiled was James Brooks, the Chargers and Bengals running back, and what I did not know. Well, I, I mean, I was, it's, I didn't know, like, really technically. I've watched him for years and loved his game, but never really under looked at his stats. And when I started, and I just decided this is a guy that was a great running back, and people don't talk about it. And then I looked at his game, and he was like the pre, he was the precursor to Tiki Barber, Alvin Kamara, and Austin Eckler as a player. I mean, he entered the league. His first year, he had 854 yards from scrimmage, um, you know, in those high-flying Chargers offenses. Um, and he was mostly a compiler from yards from scrimmage. And then he basically got traded to the Bengals. And <laughs> Felix, at 27, he had his first um, season rushing of 900 yards or more, averaging 4.8 yards per carry. And he had 1,500 total yards and, and 12 rushing touchdowns. And he was just getting started at 27. Literally, his prime years came at 31, 32, and 33. Actually, at 30, 31, and 32. At 31 in his prime, 
was his third was 31 he had 1545 yards from scrimmage a 1200 yard seven touchdown season on the ground for the Bengals and then followed that up at 32 with a 1004 yard season and a 1273 yards from scrimmage and he averaged at 30 31 and 32 5.1 5.6 and 5.1 yards per carry in a league where it wasn't pass crazy, even though they were throwing the ball a good bit under with Boomer size. And, and I watched him and I mean, we can appreciate this, even though it's, it sucked for junior Seau and the league in terms of injuries, but I literally watched him knock junior Seau out in a collision um, on a play where he went airborne and got, and got like that's hard to do and just literally knocked Seau down and Seau was out on his feet and it's just kind of like I felt bad for Seau when you think of what happened to his legacy but in a league that was rough like that James Brooks was 180 pounds and did all this at 180 so you can find out more about that at my other podcast I am loving this tangent because it reminded me of Tom Jones's breakout Thomas Jones who was drafted by Arizona and then went to Chicago with his and then his third I feel like he broke out well he broke out a little bit with the with the with the chart with the chart or excuse me with Chicago uh 1200 yard season at age 28 <laughs> a uh 13 hard 1300 yard season at age 30 a 1400 yard season with the Jets at age 31 I just we yeah. can do this all day. I know and it just cracks me up because it's like you know, I heard I heard my cohort Bloom. I think there's a show he had about why are there not any as many elite running backs anymore? And part of me wanted to say there's plenty. It's just that teams are getting kind of stubborn about uh, quarterbacks are getting kind of stubborn about wanting to hand the ball off right now. It's they're getting paid. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about these running backs now. Now that we've had our little bit of a yeah, break. Here, yeah. Talk let me let me focus. Let me focus here. Let me get back on track, back back on subject. Um, the running back position. I do think that this running back position is, is fairly strong. And I think that position, you want players who have the requisite size. You want them to uh, have athleticism. You want them to have the ability to catch the ball. And I'm going to let you, you know, when you do the RSP, I'll let you talk about whether or not they can run in zone or gap uh, with these guys. But I think that there are three of them that – at least check those three boxes, size, ability to catch the ball, and athleticism. Let me go with number four and five, five and four first. Will Shipley at Clemson, um, he came in as a five-star running back. I think he was the number one running back in his class. Very athletic player, someone that you want to get in space. He was comp to Christian McCaffrey. I don't know if that's because he's a white running back uh, by 24-7 sports. I don't I don't see that in his game. I don't know that he has um, the ability in between the tackles between Will Shipley. He's more, to me, he's more of a athletic pass catcher than someone we want to give um, 15, 20 carries to. I got him at number uh, five. Number four, I've got Devin Neal at Kansas playing for that resurgent uh, Kansas team. Again, very much a, a, a dual threat, about 214 pounds or so. I think that he can run between the tackles. He's splitting carries right now in Kansas under this new coaching staff. Um, I don't know that they've um, – maximize his potential because coming into into college we really thought that hey this is somebody that you can deploy 
down the field on wheel routes from the running back position, get him on mis- mismatches with linebackers. He's going to be excellent. Uh, so I like Devin Neal. At no- now, number three is Raheem Sanders at Arkansas. A lot of people have Raheem Sanders as number one in the class. I may even end up having him number one in the class. Another athlete, so he can play multiple multiple positions, came in as a wide receiver. They switched him to running back. Six foot, 200 pounds. Um, last year as a freshman, I was like, mm, this dude does not have – like he cannot run between the tackles. He cannot break tackles. He, does, he doesn't know what to do. He's seen a lot of growth. Uh uh, this year, like you see him thumping through. Matt, remind you have two words for the ta- there's wraps and um and reaches, uh, wraps and reaches. Yeah. yeah, you see him breaking through reaches. You th- you see him breaking through reaches at the very least in between the tackles. He's very good with his off arm, whichever arm he's he's a fighter with that off arm. And because he's a former wide receiver, he has some of that natural catching ability. He may be number one in this class. And um, Sam Pittman there at Arkansas has traditionally deployed a running back by committee system. He did that the, uh, the previous year. Well, this year they've given the full workload to Raheem Sanders, so he is at least commanding um, the respect of his coaches to deploy him in, an, in a full-time role. At number one, I have Braylon Allen at Wisconsin. If you think of these schools – recruit players who have the same profile. So I think of Wisconsin running backs, Jonathan Taylor, Melvin Gordon, Ron Dane, Monte Ball. Brian Calhoun was – I don't know if you remember Brian Calhoun. I studied Brian Calhoun in 2006. Yeah. He was a different type of of back. James White was a type of back. But Braylon Allen – this is another athlete. He came in as a safety. They said, we're going to move you to running back – was excellent his freshman year. The thing that everyone knows about Braylon Allen is yeah. that he finished his uh, freshman year as a 17-year-old freshman. He'll be like 19 or 20 when he's draft eligible. I can't wait to see his ceiling because, Matt, you yourself and Matt Caraccio at Saturday to Sunday talk a lot about micro-movements and, and kind of preparing for that tackler and, and preparing for the next hit. This guy has none of that. Like he just puts his chest into tacklers and they bounce off of him because he's so big and athletic. I'm like, hey, man, if he could learn how to run with some momentum and tuck his shoulder, he would. He's going to be a problem. He still hasn't gotten that there yet, but we've seen Raheem Sanders improve. We can see Braylon Allen improve. He's a Allen is a pretty pro, polarizing player because he's he's very much a player that you have to give enough space to get going so that he can get to the he doesn't have the lateral agility to um uh, make tacklers mix mix when there's a a a defensive tackler or defensive end that gets penetration in the backfield so you got to give him the space to get going at least that's where he is at in his development now you got to give him some space to get going so but once he gets to that second level again big big athletic player who doesn't necessarily need to duck his shoulder to run through a linebacker or safety so he's uh number two and then number one i have uh, travion henderson uh at ohio state um i love how you say that 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 school <laughs> Because I, I can hear the slight contempt. The disdained? Yeah. The, the disdain. disdain. Yes. The disdain for the school. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> of course, growing up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and going to Michigan football camp with Lloyd Carr there and being a Charles Woodson fan, I absolutely have disdain. 
uh, for that school. But I don't have disdain for Travion Henderson, who is a is a speed player, has the requisite size, but um, is a in space player. Um, what I mean by that, so on the season he has eleven missed tackles forced. For comparison, Bijan Robinson, who many have as the number one running back in the 2023 class, has 49 on the season. This is a, and I think that he's Reggie Bush ish in that way. Like, if you can get him to a space where he can defeat an angle, he will. I don't know that he has other tackle breaking abilities, but there's still a role for that type of player uh, in the NFL and very good catching the ball. Very good catching the ball. Um, but, you know, I think there's a reason why like, there's like, uh, Mike Williams, Mondre Stevenson, is that you got to buckle your chin strap when you play those types of players. And I don't know that uh, that Travion Henderson necessarily requires that. I don't know that I'm going to wear extra padding when I play uh, Travion Henderson and find a safety or a linebacker. But nonetheless, very athletic player. So I've got him at number one there for Ohio State. Is he kind of a Tony Pollard-like type of player at all? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, he's bigger than Tony Pollard, but I like that comparison. Okay. I haven't really watched him a, month, a, a lot yet, but the way you described him, it just kind of sounded, it kind of sounded that way on that standpoint. But the, man, that's a fantastic list, Felix, and and man, I can't wait to, for us to hear even more about the freshmen down the line. That's going to be awesome too. So let's let's wrap this up with a couple more questions. We're going to do one where, we, who were, who's a player either in college football or as a pro right now? that you just think could become a top producer if he were just used differently than how he's being used? I, I struggled with this question because I was thinking, you know, my 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 mind immediately went to Nikhil Harry. When Nikhil Harry was drafted by the Patriots, like, oh, that's not really what I want. I, I want him with like a Matthew Stafford type quarterback who's going to throw him the ball when he's covered and he can make, you know, plays above the rim. Um, but I don't. I, I, Tony Pollard is one, just giving him more opportunity. Same with Ramondre Stevenson. You and I, Matt. I was listening to you and Mark talk. I was on. I was on the way home to Kalamazoo on uh, 65, going from Louisville, to, and I pulled over just above Jeffersonville, Indiana, at a um, Popeyes out of Popeyes and I had my headphones in and I heard you there. You said there's a running back that I like. And you mentioned Ramondre Stevenson and I screamed in the car right there in the parking lot at, at Popeyes. But that's, that's not, that's not where I'm going to go. Well, if you were screaming, gonna, if you were screaming at a Popeyes, it's okay. You know, if you were at a Chick-fil-A, <laughs> yes. that might be a yeah. bigger deal. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. My pleasure. My pleasure. The Chick-fil-A cult there. Um, I'm going to go with DJ. I'm going to, I'm going to go with two players, one college, one NFL. I'm going to go with right. DJ Moore. Uh, I remember his junior season going into the off season. I'm looking at these wide receiver rankings for drafts. I'm like, man, DJ Moore is not here. And this dude is built like a running back plays. He's difficult to tackle. Um, didn't know he was going to test as, 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 as athletically as he did uh, uh, going into the combine. But I thought that, you know, he's, Similar to to Debo Samuel. And when you have a quarterback or an offense that's struggling, I think that this is the type of player that can spark your offense. Put him in the slot and run and run uh, bubble screens. Put him on the outside and run jailbreak screens the way they did with Demarius Thomas. Um, let him line up in the backfield and hand him the ball or run him on, on screens. Like 
you don't have they don't have to be difficult plays where a quarterback has to make a read. Just say set hut and throw him the ball when you're when you have a a wide receiver who's six foot, two hundred and twelve pounds and can make people miss and can quite frankly he can run through yes, cornerbacks. He can. Like, yes, yes, he can. He can. He's <laughs> built like a running back, and so I like just use him. Like just make it easy on yourself. Just make it easy on yourself and get the ball in a player's hand. Jailbanks. High school quarterbacks could play in the NFL and throw a jailbreak screen. Seriously, they could. A bubble screen. Just get him the ball in that in that way. Um, so that's my NFL player. In college, it is G. Scott Jr. again at Ohio State. Now, G. Scott Jr. came in in the 2020 class. He was he was probably when you watch this high school tape, if you like a player like Deontay Johnson or um, Keenan Allen, like these players who cornerbacks just have a hard time keeping up with. That was G. Scott Jr. I was like, I can, and, and G. Scott Jr. is like six foot four, 210 pounds. I was like, I cannot wait to see this guy play. But at Ohio State, you had Chris Olave, you had Jackson Smith and Jigba, you had uh, Garrett Wilson there clogging up the depth chart. So in the offseason, Last offseason, they moved him to tight end. They moved him to tight end, had him gain weight. He's now up to like, you know, 230 pounds. He's playing out of position. They don't have him, and he's not starting. He's not getting playing time. So it's G. Scott Jr., who I think that if, if he went to another school and had the opportunity, we would be thinking of this guy in the top of the, you know, the 23 or 2024 class. He's, I thought that he was that talented. So G Scott jr. There at, at Ohio state is the player that quite frankly, I'm, this is something that actually makes me upset is when these schools over recruit and they get five-star after five-star after five-star, and there isn't space for them to play. G Scott jr. Went to a depth chart with, uh, Chris Olave and G Scott and excuse me and Garrett Wilson now there with the Jets. It was going to be hard for him to get on the field. He could have gone to USC or Washington, where he's from. He's from Washington State, and 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 gotten on the field as a wide receiver as his natural position, and we would have got to see his development. But I don't know if it's because of blind loyalty or whatever, what have you. He went to Ohio State and then switched positions late. That to me that indicates that the coaches didn't have a plan for, for him from the jump, because if they did, he would have switched to tight end as a freshman, not as a sophomore. And so G Scott jr. Is the one, and that it, it really does make me upset that because that happens at a lot of schools yeah, where and that can derail over- them. It can totally derail their, their pro potential. I see exactly what you're saying. And it's all to serve the, the it's all to serve the college on that level. So I get it. And it's hard because if you don't have the guidance, you know, if you want to become a pro and you don't have the guidance, you know, you're listening to an authority figure tell you you'd be better off playing tight end. You're going to get on the field. You're going to get to do these things. And that's from their self-serving purpose where somebody else might say, dude, you need to go back to Washington or you need to go to the, you know, you need to go out to the Pac-10 and be a wide receiver. You're going to have an opportunity there. And that's really your natural position. Do that. So I, I hear you on that. I think for me, NFL-wise, I, I mentioned him in my Monday column, um, the top 10 at Football Guys, which is Devin DuVernay. Uh, I've been kind of calling for Devin DuVernay to be kind of a Danny Woodhead with speed type of player because he was a four-star running back, if I remember correctly, who went to Texas. 
and then converted to wide receiver later on. And when they used him at Texas late in his career, they often ran him out of the backfield on some concepts that were not just gadget play wide receiver stuff. They were things that he actually had to read his keys and understand how to work through the, the work between the crease. And he always did very well as a running back in those spot opportunities. And I thought in that offense for the, for the, the Ravens, you put them on the wing, you put them in the slot, you put them out wide, you can use them in all three areas, use them out of the backfield. And whereas like Rondale Moore, Cliff Kingsbury's kind of gadgetizing him to death and not letting him be the full-fledged slot receiver he really could be. And 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 in this last week's game, they did that so much that he, he was just basically tipping off Rondale Moore play after play after play until he somebody like hit him on the head and said, listen, you know, let him just run some two-way goes out of the slot and let him run some intermediate routes. He's going to kill people. And he did. He had two really nice plays where they let him do that. And I hope they figure that out. Well, it's the opposite with DuVernay. Because DuVernay, you, in this offense, yeah, he can go deep and run the vertical routes. And he's making good plays out of that in that capacity when, they, when, they, when Lamar Jackson goes to him. And he can work over the middle because he's a tough player. Um, but they have two over-the-middle guys in Rashad Bateman and, 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 and in Mark Andrews. So that's pretty much that area is there. But when you want to take some of the pressure off Lamar Jackson running the football, what do you do with a guy who is a Pro Bowl caliber kick returner who used to run the football and is very good in the open field? Well, we have a template for that. His name's Cordero Patterson because they start running those toss plays to him. And Bill Belichick deserves the credit for starting to run those toss plays with him, even though he didn't stick with Patterson. The Falcons make their bread and butter running play is any gap play where they can get him to the perimeter because it simulates a kick return as close as possible. Um, it's not completely like one, but it's as close to a play as possible out of the backfield where you get similar types of spacing and lanes to be able to, to run the football like that. And Cora Patterson just kills it in that. Well, why not do that with Devin DuVernay? And on Sunday night, they did that with him for the first time. They ran one toss play to him, and he got a first down on it, and it looked great. And they used him on all the other gadgety stuff too. But to me, if you implement a package with Devin DuVernay where you run toss, well, then you can implement all the different variations that go with it. You fake the toss to Devin DuVernay and roll Lamar Jackson out to the, to the backside, and you catch them. If they overplay DuVernay, they're dead. You know, if they, you, or you can fake the toss and everyone's not, most defenses aren't going to like stop following Lamar Jackson until it's very clear he doesn't have the ball. So, <laughs> you know, when that happens, you, you, you know, you fake the toss. Everybody's like, oh, well, you know, of course. And they're going to go after Lamar Jackson. And then he stops, pulls up and throws the throwback to Duvernay who gets lost up the seam. You want to. You want to play where you don't need a ton of velocity. You can loft it up mm -hmm. there, and the defense has completely thought that they figured out that you know that it's a keeper to the backside, and then you pull up and throw. Or if that's covered, well, maybe you have a little bit of a tight end screened element to Isaiah Likely, who's on the backside, because it's totally realistic that you'd put a tight end like Likely on the backside of a formation because he's not a great blocker at this point. He's an effort guy, but you put him on the backside. Let him kind of flank out into the flat, and then you'd stop, and you have the two options. You have Duvernay deep. If they they cover Duvernay, then you throw it to Likely, and Likely gets a screen pass. Or you could do the opposite and have 
you know, and have likely sneak out the back door because they're thinking, well, I got to get past this guy's a blocker and have Duvernay there. So you could, you have, you already have four things right there that you could be doing. And on top of that, if it works with the toss, well, now you've just saved Lamar Jackson from running, even though, like, as I say all the time, Lamar Jackson doesn't get punished because he, when they run him outside, nobody hits him until the end. And it's basically a little baby shove that he gets. I mean, very rarely does he get punished. He gets eight, 10, 12, 15 yards and, you know, doesn't get, doesn't get hit hard, but you can save them. You can save him for that. And you can use Duvernay more in that respect. And that gives you a lot of things that gives you that field stretching boundary to boundary thing that works so well for them. So I'm hoping that one play, although probably by necessity with Bateman out that they, that Greg Roman gets a spark of an idea and goes, God, we could use Duvernay so much more. And Duvernay could, as a fantasy player, instead of being like a borderline, you know, like a wide receiver two right now, who you all, everyone's viewing as more of a borderline wide receiver three because they're waiting for the the regression to happen because they don't believe in, in him being that, that kind of player. He could literally be like that third option that makes this offense like unstoppable. Like he could be a 1100, 1200 yard yards from scrimmage guy if you used him well, because he could probably give you 800 from in the passing game and give you another three or 400 on the run, depending on how inventive they get with him. You know who that reminds you said, Cordero Patterson, and I don't know why I didn't go to this player immediately. What about LaVisca Chenault to running back? The only thing about, and I think that's a great question. The only thing about him is he gets so banged up all the time, and he was so banged up before. Yeah. You wonder if he just runs too high. But I hear you on that. Like I wonder that. I mean, he was a wildcat. They used him in the wildcat all the time at Colorado. His players were his plays were at or behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, I'm and he's two hundred and twenty pounds. I'm thinking with this yeah. Chanel. Yeah, let's make him run. And and I love the DJ Moore one because DJ Moore to me is, man, when you watch him. I, that's another back. That would be a guy right there. Like if, you know, Green Bay would love to have him and the Ravens. Oh my God. If he got back into Maryland, if somehow he escaped Carolina and got back into Maryland, that would just be unbelievable. D, DJ Moore and Rashad Bateman. And yeah, Duvernay too. I love Duvernay, but those guys in that, oh, God, Lamar Jackson would be in heaven. But listen, we could go on and on. We're going to save our next question for next week because it's, okay. a, it's a fun right. one. But, you know, you okay. can, yeah, you can catch Felix Sharp, um, you know, obviously at, um, you know, Sharp Review on Twitter. Of course, Campus to Canton does great work there. It's a terrific site. Check out the leagues, man. Join the league. Get, get into college and NFL football Devi fantasy football you know played in a way that you can go both ways so right so it's like that's a that's a play great, both sides play both sides play both exactly sides. play both sides exactly so of course and you can go deep with the rsp so um thanks again for listening you guys have a terrific week and we'll reconvene with the rsp and campus to canton in a couple